Welcome to This Book is Lit, the podcast for book nerds of all genres. Episodes include interviews with beloved and upcoming authors, discussions about recent releases, and all the literary rants you could ask for. Be sure to follow us at www.thisbookislit.com and our Instagram, which is at thisbookislitblog. I'm with Sarah today, who writes as S.C. Jensen. S.C. Jensen is a Canadian fiction writer, sci-fi and horror enthusiast, and literary advocate. She lives with her husband, children, and various furry friends on an acreage in the middle of nowhere. She spends most of her days crafting stories about ordinary people forced to act in extraordinary situations and is perpetually rooting for the underdog. In the last few years, she won second place in the Arcanist Fantasy Short Story Competition with her story Sea Glass, and was also shortlisted in New York City's Midnight Short Story Challenge, placing 11th overall out of more than 5,000 participants. Jensen dabbles in history, thriller, mystery, and contemporary literary fiction, but her first reading and writing love has always been science fiction. Recently, she's attempted to mash all these interests together, drawing from American pulp noir detective fiction of the 1930s to 1950s, and from cyberpunk sci-fi of the 1980s to create a pulpy sci-fi thriller series called Bubbles in Space. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Well, I wanted to start off um, and see if you could just tell us a little bit about um, uh, Bubbles in Space and what it's about. Sure. Um, So Bubbles in Space is kind of an eccentric cyber noir thriller series um, about a bleak world ravaged by corrupt leaders, mega corporations and crime lords. And uh, then there's this washed up cyborg detective who is the only one crazy enough to take them on. And uh, it's kind of um, like Blade Runner meets the fifth element in terms of style. (laughs) So kind of the gritty noir cyberpunk sci-fi with uh, quite a bit of humor and weirdness as well (laughs) yes and i have to say i think your um your story sounds so original and so unique and interesting and so i have to know how you came up with this idea well it really came uh, it's a combination of me wanting to combine my love of the classic uh noir like hard-boiled detective fiction i love um raymond chandler and deshiel hammett and um but i my my big love in writing has always been science fiction. So I really wanted to, you know, do this sci-fi noir thing. And um, and I w- as I was uh, researching what else had been done in this kind of crossover section, I came across um, cyberpunk, which um, I had been reading all along, but hadn't really somehow connected it to this massive, like, literary and cultural movement that was going on right under my nose. Um, So that kind of gave me the style I was looking for. Um, And then with the story itself, uh, it was really a a way, I really wanted to explore um, a sober character um, and the process of kind of relearning who you are in sobriety, um, because I, I I quit drinking um, four years ago uh, after using alcohol for many years. And that that was something that was really, um, I was kind of trying to process in my own life. And Mm -hmm. so Bubbles' character is really my, kind of my attempt to explore all of that in in a safe distance from my own life, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, putting it kind of in this completely different, um, 
setting, I guess, um, from our own world kind of helped you explore those on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. That wasn't quite as personal. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. It gives you a little bit of distance and then you can maybe dig deeper into some of the things that are a little raw still. (laughs) Well, so, um, and I understand that this is a series, correct? Yes, there's five books in the main Bubbles in Space series. And I also have an offshoot series called the Hollow City Case Files, which are like the lone novellas that are a lot more true to the original detective style um, novel. They're they're based on a collection of short stories by uh, Raymond Chandler, um, just kind of reimagining um, some of his classic stories in a sci-fi setting. Okay, fascinating. But those are, um, so those, uh, those novellas, do they follow different main characters in each one or? Um, no, it's all, it's bubbles. So the novellas are set before the Bubbles in Space series um, starts. Oh, okay. Um, so the novellas are kind of her first cases as a detective in Hollow City. Um, and they're they're each their own case, and they and they can be read in any order. And then um, Bubbles in Space starts off with her on what should be a normal case, and then kind of unravels into this huge overarching conspiracy that that ends up spanning the five book series. So it goes away a little bit from the traditional like standalone detective novel and turns into more of a thriller series. Okay, wow. Since we're talking about characters. Um, I'll go ahead and ask you, you kind of touched on a little bit of uh, what your main character has to, you know, overcome on a personal level um, in the Bubbles in Space Mm -hmm. series, but um, what are some of the other challenges that the characters have to face in the story? So, yeah, Bubbles, big, um, her biggest challenges are, it's all this self-discovery kind of arc coming into her own after really losing herself um, to addiction. And she's, you know, she's a middle-aged woman who has never really done anything productive with her life. And she's thrown into this situation where she has to make all these decisions and work to keep the people that she cares about safe. And she's, she struggles a lot with self-doubt and her, and her ability to do that. Um, And then each of her um, supporting characters, uh, there's five kind of main characters in the series um each of them really represents um something that she kind of has to learn about herself and you know who she is and they kind of uh each book in this series focuses a little bit on her friendship with with one of the other um, side characters um and they kind of all build together throughout the series so um but like the the plot challenges that she has to go through in the first book um there's a there's a street drug going around that's causing all kinds of problems for the lower income neighborhoods in Hollow City, and uh, and she suspects that a friend of hers was killed um, because of this drug, and and it turns into this big uh, cover up thing that's going on. That's um, the police are involved and and uh, some government officials and that kind of thing. So she gets in way over her head with that. Um, and as the series progresses, you find out kind of just how far all of these, um, you know, the, the people working in the background are, um, and how much of the system she has to dismantle really in order to address, um, the, what seemed like a simple problem at first. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Well, and so, um, which characters did you think were the easiest to write in this series? And then which ones did you really struggle with, if any? 
or were they all just really easy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're all really aspects, kind of different facets of my own personality. So um, they weren't really challenging to write, um, but some of the dynamics were harder than others to get um, to feel right. Bubbles um, has this like AI uh, sobri sobriety support pig named mm -hmm. Hammett. Um, and the the dynamic between them was really natural and really like really fun to write. Um, and same as with uh, Dickie uh, Dickie Rowe, uh, that's Bubbles' um, partner at the detective agency. Um, their relationship becomes is very easy to write. And then um, she has a more challenging relationship with uh, a detective on the uh, police force, um, Tom Wayland, that she used to work with and had to have a bit of a, a past together. And sometimes that relationship was a little hard um, to navigate and keep the tone light. Because um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I deal with a lot of gritty themes in, in the book and, and, and the plot overall. But I really wanted to keep the relationships um, light and, uh, and easygoing um, just as a, as a balance to um, some of the darker stuff that's going on. And uh, her relationship with Tom is a, was the most challenging to keep light, I think, because it's the most, it has the most emotional impact for me anyways. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, and um, were there any of those characters that you ended up adding uh, later in the drafting process? Um, the first book that I ever had um, traditionally published, um, I wrote that way and it took me over a year to, to get it all sorted. And I ended up having to do just major structural revisions and heavy development, um, development edits. And, um, and after that, the, and the time and the, what I felt was, you know, wasted effort and all of the pages that I ended up having to delete like 50,000 words from that document. Oh, wow. Um, and it felt like waste and um, then I, I decided to try learning how to plot a little bit more and maybe plotting a little bit more um, conscientiously uh, at least when I was when I was drafting and I've kind of landed somewhere in the middle I, I now will write myself a chapter by chapter outline and make sure that my plot points are kind of where I want them to be and then um, at, a, at a chapter level, I kind of am still doing exploratory writing just with a bit of a roadmap. So um, that tends to be how I, how I write. Now, I never do super detailed plotting um, unless I get stuck. And then I kind of go back and figure out where I need to go and break it into smaller chunks um, to find out how I have to get there. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I... Um, if somebody was interested, not me, it's, it's completely me, but if somebody was interested in going from a pantser to a plotter <laughs> or like a, a hybrid situation like you have, what advice would you give them to, to kind of move edge a little bit closer to the plotting um, side as a beginner? Yeah, you know, I really found um, K.M. Wayland, I actually named the character uh, Tom Wayland after K.M. Wayland, who oh, has wow. written... Um, <laughs> <laughs> because she was so influential in my learning to draft and the name was just popped into my head and it works perfectly. But K.M. Wayland or Wayland, however you spell it or uh, pronounce it, she has written um, 
uh, outlining your novel and structuring your novel and a really great book called uh, Character Arcs. And she's one of my favorite um, uh, writers of like writing craft books. Mm -hmm. And um, her book on outlining is a really great place to, uh, to start. Um, I like her book on structuring as well. But if you just want to dip your toes into the whole thing that her book outlining is fantastic. Okay. Okay. Great. That sounds like a good resource. Um, okay. So what does the rest of your writing process look like? Are you, um, you know, do you write in chunks throughout the day or do you have a designated writing time, you know, other kind of writing routine things that you might do? Um, so I, I write full time. Um, and, uh, I write for my, my day job is writing as well. Um, I do business writing for the, um, for the mining and transportation industry. So, um, I'm pretty good at writing like when I have to, like on a schedule. Um, so basically what I do when I'm drawing is I, once I have my outline, I just set myself a goal, um, a words per day goal. Um, and I just write, uh, whatever number of words I have decided I need to write in order to get it done by the deadline. Um, for Tropical Punch, I started with a word goal of 2000 a day, which um, when I started 2000 words a day took me almost like all day to get those words down. Mm -hmm. And um, now I can fairly easily write 3000, 4000 words a day in like three or four hours. So um, just with the consistency of writing, like sitting down month after month and, and working on my speed, uh, I have I have gotten up there. But yeah, basically, I just wrote 2000 words a day until the book was done. With a decent outline, uh, it was pretty much ready to go to my editor, um, my line editor at that point. It seems like you have a lot of experience in different genres, um, but that you you are really partial to sci-fi. So um, were there any unique challenges to this series that you faced while writing it? Or, um, you know, are you kind of an old hat at uh, sci-fi, so it was pretty straightforward or? Yeah, you know, it's not really, the sci-fi elements are not usually what, what um, what slow me down or, or stump me but I found uh I have a really I don't know some think it's a maybe a good habit I and when it comes to marketing it's kind of a bad habit that I tend to write genre mashups so I'm never really strictly in one genre and I have to balance um the tropes that readers expect in one uh genre like a cyberpunk, which um, tends to be very bleak and heavy, and it's got these noir themes. And then there's like the expectation that there will be, you know, evil corporations or, or you know, the, you know, corrupt government and, um, and you know, cyborgs and hacking. And there's all these cyberpunk readers have these certain expectations. And I didn't quite want to write like a by the book cyberpunk novel um and i so i ended up being leaning way more into the humor side and being a little bit irreverent with my uh with my nods to the genre um and and i i mean i did it on purpose and i i originally wanted it to be even more of a humor novel or humor series than it ended up being um just because i was forced to kind of balance the levity with the the gritty tone of the of the setting and uh that would be the hardest part is like finding a balance that felt true to me um but that didn't stray too far from either of the 
the genres I was trying to tap into. Sure. Yeah. So kind of um, making a tone that's your own, but like you said, kind of, you know, not straying too far from, <laughs> from sci-fi or it's, it sounds like, especially yeah. steampunk well, is make, a little bit more. You blink, make people right? mad if they think they're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you tell yeah. people that it's a cyberpunk novel and then it's like kind of goofy, a lot of people expect like William Gibson's Neuromancer and these really like, hardcore gritty novels and like and it's there but I tried to tried to make it kind of funny too <laughs> which mm -hmm. isn't necessarily yeah. for everybody but and the readers that I wanted to reach um have loved it they and they totally get what I'm trying to do but what I'm finding now that the books are finished and I'm trying to market it I'm finding that it's very hard to narrow down to those readers um mm -hmm. to find them when you're doing and, you know, paid advertising and that kind of thing. So I think it'll be, uh, it'll like, like, I know that the readership is out there because uh, they're readers like me and I know lots of readers like me, so we do exist. Um, but it's the advertising platforms are really not set up for mixing and matching. <laughs> you have to kind of, in order to utilize them to their, their full, uh, uh, effect, I think you really need to be in a specific genre and hit that genre really hard, like with all the tropes in the right places and that kind of thing. But, you know, that's not that fun to write that way. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because um, otherwise you're just going down a checklist of what's supposed to be in, you know, a sci-fi novel or something. So, yeah. <laughs> all of my favorite authors are ones who, who do things differently, right? And, um, but they tend to have big publishing houses behind them to do the marketing for them. So I guess that's the difference between being indie and, and being traditionally published uh, is that then I have to pay out of pocket to do my own marketing <laughs> for mm -hmm. these weird mashups. But um, <laughs> my process for, uh, or towards publishing this time, um, this is the first series that I've, that I've self-published. Um, and it was really overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, there's so much information on how to do it and what to do. And, um, but basically I decided on the series that I was going to write, um, that was going to be my first attempt. And I decided I would write like five books in the series and then just, um, kind of see how it went. And, um, so I got my, my covers, uh, my cover designer lined up and I, I plotted out my books and I basically just started writing and, um, and just tried to get it all lined up. And then once I was going, um, and the books were selling, I felt like, well, I can't stop now. So I just kept, I just kept going. I, I did five books in, uh, in 2021, um, plus two novellas that year, um, which was like half a million words. And I have never written that much in my entire life I don't think and I did it all in one year which was a wow. completely wild like roller coaster experience but um but now I can I can do that like I can just sit in my chair and write 3,000 words when I have to and um and I think really forcing myself to stick to a schedule like I did last year completely um changed my process for me so and showed me what was possible if I if I just put the time into it. So um, it was a really kind of crazy experience, but I'm really glad I did it that way. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't realize uh, you wrote all five and a couple of the novellas in one year. That's really incredible. <laughs> that's a, quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I would imagine that, um, especially for a series, developing that habit and then actually, you know, hammering out um, all of the series in one go would probably be incredibly beneficial for, you know, um, continuity and everything. It's probably easier to, to make sure you have everything yeah. lined up. Mm -hmm. And even in such a tight time frame, like you still forget stuff. My, my <laughs> sister is amazing because she keeps like a spreadsheet of all of my characters and any descriptions I give of them and like locations that I use. And then she'll be like, no, in book three, you said that this was on the left-hand side of the street. And, uh, I cannot keep that stuff straight in my own head, but she <laughs> kept track of like so many little details that I would have lost. And there might still be some things that I mixed up, but nobody has called me out for it. So they can't be in anything too major. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, you totally, you get absorbed in the book that you are writing now and you forget what you wrote, even if it was just last month or a couple of months ago. So, um, uh, what would you, is there anything you would do differently now that you've, you've kind of, um, gone through this process quite a few times already in such a short, short amount of time? Um, or, you know, is there anything that you definitely would recommend to somebody who's staring down, um, the prospect of going through this themselves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I made lots of, I don't think I made any catastrophic mistakes last year. I, I think you just have to do it and, and troubleshoot along the way. Um, some of the authors that, um, that I, that I follow, um, who have been doing this for a long time, um, they've all said like, just do it. You'll figure it out along the way. And there's absolutely nothing you can do that's going to screw everything up so badly that you can't like put out another book. So, um, I kind of had that in my back pocket and, uh, you know, just told myself, you know, I can't screw it up that badly. And, and, um, and I learned so much from each mistake that I made that I can't say that I wish I did it differently. Um, but I think I've, I've kind of refined my process, but, um, the one thing I would maybe do, I would, I wish that I had gotten my audio books lined up, like to come out alongside my ebooks and my paperbacks because now I'm just in the process of doing the audiobooks and it takes a long time. Like we the second one is just finished and um I'll probably get three and four out this year. I don't know if we can do all the last three. Um so it yeah just just for timing. But then I would have had to hold off on on the whole publishing thing too. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's I, I think that um if you if you do plan to write a series and you think you can do it, I think it's it would be beneficial to um, hold off and try to uh, like maybe get them all finished and get your covers finished and then release them so that you can put them out like one one a month or something for five months. Um, and then you can take advantage of um, Amazon's uh Amazon pushes new releases harder than than other books, and you can kind of stay more relevant in their algorithm um, with regular quick releases. So that's something that I would like to try in the future, maybe taking six months off of publishing books and just to kind of stockpile a bunch and then put them all out in rapid succession. But, you know, those are all tricks that... Um, I don't know if it would have worked out if I had just waited and, and done that because 
then you're doing it so fast and so many mm-hmm. more <laughs> mistakes that you can make <laughs> in a short period of time. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a good answer to that question. Do you have any tips for uh, working with uh, cover designers or editors for people doing it indie. It sounds, um, and I will just say your covers are very striking. I think they look really great. So if you want to plug your cover designer too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. So my cover designer is uh, Martin at uh, Cover Art Studio, um, and I'll send you the link's website if anybody is interested. I think he's fantastic. Um, as an indie, I think it's really, really important. Like we talked about genre, and um, I think it's really important to know your target audience and have really specific. Um, because covers follow uh, trends as well. And, um, and you can really mess up the launch of a book by having the wrong kind of cover. Um, and as much as I love my books, I mean, my covers, um, they have made it challenging for me to target the cyberpunk genre because they're too pink and too fun looking, oh. right? Um, mm-hmm. that it's the right, it's the right tone for the books. But it's it makes it so that like when when my books show up in a, a feed full of a bunch of other cyberpunk books, they look out of place and they look maybe like they're not the kind of book that somebody would like to to read. So um, it's uh, like I, I'm glad that I have the covers that I have because I'm not going to get anybody who's like I hate pink and girls mm-hmm. and I don't want fun. <laughs> um, they're never going to pick up my books. <laughs> So, but I, I'm hoping that um, maybe women who think that cyberpunk is such a boys club, which it kind of has been for the last 20, 30 years, um, that maybe they'll they'll find that this is an entry point where they're comfortable, um, you know, diving into uh, what has been a very male dominated um, genre. So, um, but yeah, you have to, you, you're signaling a lot with your cover. So it's worthwhile to do your research, um, know what, what is selling in your genre and have, you know, five or 10 examples of books that are selling really well um, to show your designer um, so that they can create something, um, something that is, you know, unique and yours, um, but also is sending the right signals to the right kind of readers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, did you, did you find it particularly beneficial or difficult working with um, uh, a freelance editor? I think you said that you had a line editor and, you know, did you, what, how did you think yeah. that experience was? Well, I really lucked out. I met um, an editor on Instagram who, um, like she has a degree in, in linguistics and, um, and the content that she posts, I know that she, like, she's read all the craft books and she knows all the theory and she, she just really knows her stuff. And I think like indie publishing, it's really, um, there are a lot of people who will sell themselves as editors who maybe don't have the technical uh, expertise to do a really good job of it. And mm-hmm. uh, some of them are not even cheaper than hiring a real professional editor. And it's um, it can be really hard to, like when you're shelling out thousands of dollars um, for an edit, you need to make sure that you're getting, <clears throat> you're getting somebody who knows what they're doing. So um, I, I did my research before I ever contacted her. Um, 
And when I did, um, and she's Canadian as well. Like I, I struggle to find uh, editors in Canada just because our exchange rate, it's challenging to, you know, not lose your shirt when you're, mm-hmm. when you're paying people from Europe and, and the United States and, and paying a Canadian dollar, it can be, it can be really uh, expensive. Um, so she was Canadian, which was a big bonus. And, and she's very, very good at what she does. Um, but anytime you're going to uh, hire an editor, most editors will offer like a sample edit um, and they will, they will be honest with you about I mean, a good editor will be honest with you about what level of editing they think you need. Um, if you if you give them a couple of chapters or whatever, they should be able to tell at a glance whether or not you're looking at a development edit or if it's just a line edit. Um, and uh, and you can tell by after they've done a few pages whether or not their feedback is the kind of thing that you're looking for. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because. Um, especially just in the past week, there have been a lot of uh, rumblings in the writing community where, uh, you know, about good agents versus bad agents and, you know, problems you can run into yeah. uh, being an indie with editors. Yeah. You know, it's, it is, I think, a really tough market for people to, to suss out who's mm-hmm. a good publishing professional. So, um, yeah. And like, uh, you should, they're like, most most practicing editors are going to have a list of uh, of people that they've worked with who are willing to to vet them, and um, and they will probably be more than happy to give you a list of of people that you can ask for references, um, and just make sure that like you know go and check out a book by one of the authors that 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 editor has worked with and and see what the quality of their writing is like because that's going to be um, uh, that's going to be an indication of of what your book will look like right Mm -hmm. so um it's i don't know it's indie publishing is really challenging because there are a lot of um predatory people lurking around um trying to take advantage of people who just you know more than anything want to see their book out in the world um from you know vanity publishers and Mm -hmm. a lot of hybrid what are they're now calling themselves hybrid publishers but they're really it is just vanity publishers under a new name um and it's really like you got to do your due diligence and ask ask in the community if anybody's got experience with with anybody that you're you're planning to work with and um, and be cautious. But um, there's there's so many good people out there too. Um, being a part of a uh, like a professional uh, group is a is a good idea as well. Um, if you're on Facebook, the 20 books to 50 K group is a fantastic resource for, for indie publishers. Um, and they have, uh, lots of really experienced people in there, um, who can make recommendations for, for editors and designers and that kind of thing as well. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think it's difficult sometimes for people to figure out how to even start. And so, um, you know, finding those resources if you're going indie. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's so many things, different things that have to come together exactly right uh, for you to connect with the right people. So yeah. that's a great tip. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> well, I can, I like, if I can, like 20 books to 50K on Facebook, um, the SPF, that's self-publishing formula group, those are free resources. Most of the people in there, like they don't allow self-promo, so people can't be like, I'm an editor, come and hire me. They, It's all just like, just 
authors sharing their information and their experience with other authors and you can learn so much um, from them without ever you just it just costs time you just got to get through all the material ask the right questions and do your research but um, there's a lot that you can do for for free um, and then not be tempted by those people who say they'll you know just pay me thousands of dollars and your book mm -hmm. will be number one um, exactly if it sounds too good to be true it probably is. Yeah, <laughs> it's not easy <laughs> being a being a self published author, um, but it's it's very rewarding if you uh, if you can get past the all of the scary startup stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, okay. So with marketing, um, what did you find was particularly helpful, or um, anything that you thought was not uh, very effective when you were marketing your books? So um, I think one of the best things that you can do and that every, uh, every indie author should do is get to know other authors who are writing in your genre. Um, the closer to your, like if you're in a little niche uh, within a bigger genre, get to know the authors who are writing in your niche. And remember, like you are not, you're not competing with other authors who write the same stuff as you. Um, because readers will like every readers read, you know, 10, 20, some of them read hundreds of books a year. Um, so if you can connect with authors who write a similar style to you, um, then you can cross promote with them. And you can like, I, I have um, really strong connections with the indie cyberpunk um, uh, communities online um, from artists and designers to, to other authors. And, um, that's been one of my best resources. Uh, like I connect with the other authors and we run promotions together. Well, we'll, you know, each take a book um, and drop it down to 99 cents and sell it as a bundle or, um, or we'll do like a newsletter um, promo where um, I'll share one of uh, like a new release from, from a similar author to me in my newsletter. And then when I have a new release, they'll share my, with their readers. And then um, each of your little pools, each of your audiences, um, they're getting fed more books that are just what they like. And um and you then get shared with other authors in their own little audiences and you can and you can spread the word that way and that doesn't cost anything um and that's something that i think can be one of the most um powerful marketing tools available is just that word of mouth and community so that kind of answers my question about the ad thing i was going to ask if you um you know had anything that you would have done differently with marketing specifically so it sounds like you wish you would have just um taken that course sooner <laughs> yeah well and the, so uh, people are of two minds about ads like some people say that uh you shouldn't bother writing or bother doing paid ads until you have like at least three books in your series preferably like five or six um just because your your uh, return on investment is so low when you only have one book and i like i lost money through the nose when I was advertising the, the early books in my series. Um, I did that intentionally because I saved up money knowing that I was going to spend money on advertising um, before I even started this whole thing. Um, so I did that on purpose, but it's totally okay to not spend money on ads until you have 
like uh, until you have your series completed um, because it's very, very, it's very, very expensive. And mm -hmm. um, to me, I just decided I really, I'm not trying to like, you know, become a millionaire. I'm just wanting to get my books out there, um, get my audience established. And, and that is kind of was the cost of advertising um, for me. And um, I haven't like my, my books have sold quite well. Um, but I'm all kind of only at break even point with my, with my marketing um, expenses at this point. Mm -hmm. But um, now that I have the, the series out, now when I run ads, I'm able to run them at a profit. Um, so this year I might actually make some money instead of <laughs> last year I, I broke even on, uh, but, but I, uh, I, I kind of decided that I could either like make nothing by not advertising and not getting my books out anywhere, or I could um, make some money, spend some money and still end up with nothing. But, you know, now I have hundreds, well, thousands, I've sold thousands of books last year. So, you know, that's, that's all readers that can come forward and buy new books as, mm -hmm. as I put them out now. So that was investment in, in the business, really, um, that, uh, that I was prepared to make. But I think by doing it the way that you mentioned, um, you know, maybe investing in advertising after you have quite a few books under your belt, then... Um, you know, there's a nice little like backlist for, um, for readers to go to yeah. when they see that initial ad. So yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think um, that's actually probably the better idea. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would have, I was really like, I was really eager to just like get it done and learn all the things. And I had saved up money to do this and I was just going to do it. And, um, probably I could have spent that money more effectively this year rather than last year. Um, but I did, I learned a lot and, and whatever it's, it's okay. Um, turning towards other people's books and what you're reading right now, do you have any current books, um, that you would recommend or, you know, what, what kind of genres are you reading right now? Oh, I'm always reading all kinds of things. So right now I'm reading uh, William Gibson's uh, Burning Chrome uh, series of short stories. Um, that's my traditional read. Um, and I've, I'm also doing a, an ARC read for another indie author that I know named uh, S.J. Pratt. And she's got a book coming out actually on March 8th, I think, called The 716. And it's a young adult sci-fi with some very cyberpunk elements to it. And it's just been a, a blast uh, to read. And, um, yeah, I think for recommendations, I would love to see people checking out more of the indie um, sci-fi and cyberpunk out there. Um, we've got like Anna Mossacat has these great books um, called Behind Blue Eyes, which are like, um, kind of a ghost in the shell kind of style, but really dark and, um, and violent and sexy and like really cool books. Um, and then there's uh, called C.T. Phipps, who has this series called Agent G, and it's kind of like a cyberpunk James Bond, lots of pop culture references, really fun, action-packed, and, and also kind of this cyberpunk um, flair to it. And um, you know, there's just, there's so many great indies out there, um, that getting involved in, in the indie book community, I think is really rewarding. Cause you can always talk to the authors and say like, 
I don't know, in ways that you can't, like, I can't just send Margaret Atwood an email and, <laughs> and get a response from her. I would love to, but, um, but I think it's a great way for readers to connect with, with authors that are just so excited to know that their books are, are being read and appreciated. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. Those are my suggestions. For sure. Okay, great. Well, um, and so what's coming up next for you? Are you working on any new projects as of yet? Or are you taking a little bit of a break? Oh, no, I, I don't take breaks. <laughs> I'm so I'm currently writing. <laughs> I have a, uh, a fantasy pen name that I'm starting up. The, the books probably won't start coming out until next year, but I've got that as kind of like a change of pace. I also have um, a trilogy that was previously um, owned by a traditional publishing company that um, they only ever put out they had the, they owned the whole trilogy they only published the first book and then right before the second book was going to come out the guy who owned the company died and the company folded and I got my rights back and um, so now I'm in the process of recovering and uh, republishing that trilogy uh, as a self-pub so that's a dystopian sci-fi. And uh, I plan to do another five novellas um, for the Hollow City Case Files um, series this year. And um, at the end of the year, I'll be getting started on another um, a new series with new characters, but set in the same um, universe as the Bubbles in Space um, stories. So. Okay, wow. So you have a lot coming up on the docket, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, great. Well, um, once again, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. If you're interested in learning more about SC Jensen, or if you'd like to check out her series, Bubbles in Space, be sure to check the link in the description of this podcast. And you can also search for her on amazon.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, read on.